Hey guys, David here. We are away this week because Ben is really sick. Uh, so what we've got instead for you is a little sample of my book that's out right now. Uh, you're going to hear the first chapter and the second chapter, and then an excerpt of a sort of a behind-the-scenes director's commentary where myself and the editor of the book talk about the process of making the book, what influenced us, and how that kind of went down. Uh, and basically, you can buy the book now at maynardtrig.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. And if you want to hear the full behind-the-scenes podcast, there's four parts. The only way you can do that is to buy the premium hardback copy of the book. I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. And in the month of August, if you use code AUG10, A-U-G-10, uh, you can get a 10% discount at checkout. That's AUG10 at checkout, maynardtrig.com. Hope you enjoy the book. Love to know your thoughts. Talk to you guys soon. Maynard Trigg and the Creature Beneath the Veil by D.C. McNeil Read by Scott Heiner for DCM Works For Rachel, Danny, and Lynette Chapter 1 The Man in the Wings Maynard Trigg tried not to listen. Madame Isabel had been talking about the same thing for an hour, as the children stood in the muddy street, waiting for an opportunity to do anything whatsoever except stand and listen. She paced on the porch above them and continued talking. The Skyport's engine is regulated by Stone's Fifth, she said, marching back and forth, and this chemical flows through the Skyport spillways, causing the mud we walk through every day. Maynard shuffled, trying to keep his legs awake. He nudged the girl next to him. Hey, Nell. Shut up, Nell whispered. Madame Isabel coughed. Now then, Nell, did you have something to share with the class? Thanks a lot, Nell hissed. She was trying to talk to me, Maynard said, stepping forward. Mr. Trigg, is it possible to go one lesson without you disrupting this class? Madame Isabel said. Are you incapable of listening? Are you incapable of standing still even? Was there a question you had, Mr. Trigg? Perhaps you'd like to share something important with the class, or shall we all move on with our lives? I was just hoping we might do something? Anything at all, actually. Madame Isabel removed a singular boot, plunging her foot back into the sickly mud. She held the boot before Maynard's face. We are learning, Madame Isabel said. Maynard took a cautious step back from Madame Isabel's boot. We came outside, Madame Isabel. I thought it might have been for something specific, Maynard said. What do you imagine it is like for me, having to teach with your constant interruptions? I have not brought us here for my enjoyment, Mr. Trigg. Now, look at me. Observe. Madame Isabel held up a vial of yellow liquid. This is Stone's Fifth, the very same chemical that causes the Skyport's year-round mud. The same mud on this boot. Maynard looked at the slurry of dirt and dust under his own boots. Further into the street, people were going about their day, shouting and whistling from the thoroughfares towards the rooftops of sad-looking shanties. A squalid cook served a foul-smelling soup from a bucket on the fire. The people who gathered for it did not look happy, but they did not look sad either. There was a figure in a dark cloak, standing perfectly still on the far side of the street. Now, Mr. Trigg, given your obvious interest in this lesson, 
What do you imagine will happen if I add this stone's fifth to this boot? Madame Isabel held up her boot. She held the vial of yellow liquid in her other hand. Maynard shrugged. He stole a glance at the street once more. The cloaked figure was gone. Nothing to say? I don't know, Maynard said. Precisely. Because you never listen. Nell nudged his arm and then stepped forward. If you add the stone's fifth to the boot, it should strip off the mud, Nell said. Very good, Nell. Let us observe. Madame Isabel poured the vial over the toe of the boot. The mud slid off with the liquid, dark and viscous, dripping from the boot. The stone's fifth binds to the stone's fifth already in the mud, creating one cohesive compound. The mud is diluted, thus its adhesive nature is reduced and the boot is freed. Maynard rolled his eyes at Nell. She stepped back in line and suppressed a laugh. Now pair up and come collect a vial of stone's fifth, a brush, and flag. Madame Isabel gestured to the three bags next to her. The children broke from the line and swarmed over the material. Maynard and Nell didn't move. Could we go one day without you getting me in trouble? Nell said. Seems unlikely. You gonna go get the stuff? Really? Maynard said, gesturing at Madame Isabel. She's getting us to clean veil flags. It's bad enough they're making my father hang them at the festival. Might be a nice change for you to actually do some work. You're getting the next one. Maynard slumped his shoulders and trudged up the step and onto the porch. He collected a vial, flag, and scrubbing brush, and then sat at the edge of the porch where Nell joined him. Carthage wove out before them. The muddy streets diced up the city carelessly. Houses were stacked atop each other in close favelas, with planks connecting third- and fourth-story landings. It was a city of corners and dark places. The streets grew busy as sundown approached. What do you think he does? Nell said. She pointed at a portly man wearing overalls. His jacket's old, pretty worn in the elbows. Maybe he's a pilot. Nah, he's too tall to be a pilot. Nell poked Maynard's arm. Oh, maybe he helps flatten steel into sheets. Are you listening? Maynard didn't respond. What is it? Nell insisted. Who do you think that is? Maynard said quietly. Who? Far side of the road, there's someone in a cloak. They were watching us before. I don't see anyone. Maynard pointed. Nell followed his finger, but the figure in the cloak took three long steps forward and became part of the shifting crowd. That was weird, Maynard said. Probably just a drifter. Probably. Nell kept pointing out people and guessing their jobs or what they were thinking. Maynard did his best to play along, but his mind was on the cloaked figure. Class ended and Maynard left before Nell could catch up. He wanted to go home. He wove through the crowd, avoiding being trampled. He was wondering about his father's preparations for the festival as hands grasped his shoulders and dragged him from the road into a narrow alleyway. The cloaked figure loomed over him and pulled his hood down. His beard was thick, and he wore many earrings. You were watching me before, Maynard said. Who are you? The boy does not know an old friend when he sees one. The man pulled back the length of his cloak and reached out to shake Maynard's hand. Beneath, he wore layers of leathery scarves and a dark vest. He had belts with scores of pouches and pockets. On one hip hung a pistol, and a sickle as large as the man's torso on the other. I think I would remember a friend with so many weapons, Maynard said. The boy does not recognize this face. The man is named Kamadra, though the boy may call Kamadra by Muni, for the boy's mother did once also. Wait, I do know you. The boy remembers. Maynard recalled seeing the back of a man with earrings. 
drawing on a pipe, talking in the darkness with his mother and father. The roaring wheeze of Mooney's laugh, which made Maynard think of extinct storybook animals. Why were you watching me before? Maynard asked. The boy must focus. Did the boy's father return this night gone? No, he probably just stayed at work. He has rooms at the council chamber, and the midwinter festivals got him working all hours. The boy is certain. I didn't see him this morning either. Mooney was sent by the boy's father yesterday to protect the boy. Mooney was to meet the boy's father today. Did the boy's father leave with him a note, a key, anything for Carmadra, for Mooney? Well, did you try the chambers? Maynard said. He's probably rehearsing his opening speech. Mooney was perfectly still for a moment. Then he frowned. The boy will come with Mooney. You're a pirate, aren't you? Maynard responded, recoiling. The boy will come. I'm not going with you. I need to change before I meet my father. We're to offer the blessing of the festival. Mooney bent down and leaned in close to Maynard. He wore coal under his eyes, smeared in uneven clouds. Maynard had difficulty imagining a reason for the face paint and wondered why it was applied so poorly. Perhaps the pirate wanted to look like a ragamuffin. Mooney clicked his fingers at Maynard. Is the boy listening? Yakra! The boy must learn to trust Mooney. For if the boy's father did not return this evening gone, the boy is in danger. Danger? Duh, a bad man seeks the boy's father. Maynard feigned hiding from a monster. A bad man is after my father. Oh, for Vale's sake, not again. Mooney stepped away and shook his head as Maynard carried on. Mooney, this is Carthage. People eat what they should throw out, and what they throw out is unutterable. And my father is a council member. He is in part responsible for keeping these people from running amok and eating one another. Mooney recoiled and looked perplexed. Not literally, not like that, Maynard said. All I am saying is, if a bad man is after my father, this bad man would have to wait in line. Duh, fine. A very bad man seeks the boy's father. Mooney will protect the boy from the very bad man. And who exactly is this very bad man? The second in command of Carthage, this man, Parker, seeks the boy's father. Parker is my father's friend, Maynard said. My father's known him for years. He wouldn't hurt me, let alone my father. The boy must trust Mooney. Mooney has no reason to lie. And I have no reason to believe the word of a crazed pirate in an alleyway. Goodbye, Mooney. Mooney rolled his eyes and retrieved a nasty little knife hidden within his cloak. As if to make a point, Mooney pulled Maynard in close with his free hand and brandished the knife beneath his face. Why does the boy not trust Mooney? Mooney would have already cut the boy's throat here if this was Mooney's plan. Maynard stepped back, glancing at the street, thinking about how quickly he could escape the alley, if he could be strong and quick enough. Mooney calmed down. He sheathed the knife and crouched so he was level with Maynard. Mooney will protect the boy from Parker. Mooney made this promise to the boy's father. The sunlight caught Mooney's earrings. Maynard looked at the bustling street and tried to imagine Parker, a rake-thin man with graying temples, striding from the crowd to take him away. He couldn't. Maynard turned back. Something approached from the alley behind Mooney. It advanced without making a sound. Do you know them? Maynard said. Mooney is alone. Perhaps this is a very bad man, Mooney said. Parker? Maynard called out in disbelief. The figure drew closer, and Maynard knew it was not Parker. It was far taller than Parker, and its movement looked rigid and uneasy the closer it approached. 
Mooney stepped back, putting himself in front of Maynard. The traveller will halt. The figure took a step forward. Mooney drew the pistol from his hip and levelled it at the figure. Who approaches? The traveller will reveal themselves. The figure stood very still. For a moment nothing happened. And then it rushed forward, reaching for Mooney with a hand wrapped in a metal gauntlet. Mooney fired and the shot sliced through the figure's robes, sparking on something beneath, skimming away harmlessly. The figure advanced and Mooney took up the sickle from his belt. The boy will run! Maynard didn't hesitate. He darted into the street and hurried through the evening crowd, shoving and shouldering. He ran, and he kept running, until he could no longer. Chapter 2. Black by Lamplight Maynard walked the wide, uneven road home. The streets were dark and cold. He would miss the blessing. He jumped at every shadow, expecting to see whatever had attacked them in the alley. No cloaked monster dragged him away. No claws reached for his throat. It seemed Mooney had disappeared as well, and Maynard decided this was a good thing. Finally, Maynard was alone. It was a block before home that Maynard noticed the front door of his house was open, banging on its hinges in the wind with only a little light shining within. He hurried to the porch. Father, he called out. The house was uncommonly frigid. The table by the front door was in pieces, and large sections of the entrance hallway had been gouged out. The coat rack stood untouched and upright, and Maynard pulled his father's coat on with shaking hands. The door to the kitchen was broken in two and the frame was bent out of shape. Maynard moved into the kitchen towards a gentle orange glow, and all at once he was confronted with smoke. The dining table was flipped against the wall. All the cupboards were open, their contents spilling onto the countertop and floor. A pile of drawers on the ground burned slowly. Maynard stamped at the drawers. He'd hoped to stop the flames, but the pile shifted, and the embers caught on the upturned table. The front door slammed. Maynard jumped and opened his mouth to ask his father what had happened when something closed over his face. Maynard struggled and cried out, but it was no use. All he could do was kick his feet as he was dragged through the kitchen, down the hall, and into the laundry. A familiar raspy voice whispered in Maynard's ear, The boy will not struggle. The boy will not make a noise. Maynard was slowly released, and he turned to see Mooney. Mooney was swathed in his cloak, which made him difficult to see in the dark, and he was hunched down like a huge predatory bird. You scared me, Maynard said. Maynard reached for the lamp on the wall, but Mooney slapped his hand away. No lights. The creature is here, he hissed. Mooney guided Maynard through the back door. Fire flared behind them, and the kitchen was consumed. The boy and the pirate crept along the back porch, circling the building until they could look in through the hall window. The house fell back into silence. The walls and floor and window frames shuddered as a metal boot crossed the threshold and a figure stepped into the house. Beneath its heavy hood, two red discs glowed where eyes should have been. Mooney does not believe, Mooney whispered. What is it? Maynard said, hoping he was whispering. It is mythical creature, not unlike Golem or the Ogre. 
It is Seeker. The creature stopped moving. Its head snapped to face them, eyes radiating through the window. The boy will run, Mooney cried. Mooney pulled Maynard forward. They sprinted down the porch as the front door was thrown from its hinges. Maynard looked back and saw the creature standing in the doorway. The red disc flickered and went black, and the seeker was enveloped in the darkness beyond the door. Invisible. This will be our first behind-the-scenes uh, audio track director's commentary for the book, I suppose you call it. Yes. Uh, and my name is David. Uh, I wrote the book, uh, and I, I run the production company, and I'm joined by my editor, Aaron. My name is Aaron. I edited the book. Yes. And we've been friends for a long time, but this is our first sort of uh, big-time, scary adult project that we worked on together. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> scary scary is the right word <laughs> scary is the right word and you know it's funny i was trying to uh when we were sitting down to, to think about recording this um kind of behind the scenes director's commentary style thing i was trying to work out what i wanted the focus to be and i realized that where we should start is probably like our relationship and how we kind of even like how i came to be in contact with you about the book and mm. like how that process went so do you remember the first time that you found out that I ran a production company and that, that this book existed. Like, do you remember that process? Yeah. yeah. I don't recall how we met, save that you it's read some impressive poetry. Poetry, poetry class. Yeah. Um, a poetry tute back in 20, 2016. Wow. Um, was it really only that? It feels longer was, than that. Yeah, it was that long ago. Like, like it's, it feels, it feels like it feels eons like age. ago. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the, <laughs> the level of work will do that. <laughs> Just yeah, we've done a lot since on. then. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember it. Um, I, I remember you throwing me a file, um, uh, which, which was, which was everything that happened after the events. Of course. The, 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 the timeline of, of Veilmakers. Um, and that was where I started. Mm. And it was, it was very, it was like, it was like a late piece about how, uh how you know like chaos in this particular time yes. um and and uh how there was there was that kind of immediate threat and then it was very reflective i, what I suppose the characters were doing yeah to not to not to get around too much what you're talking about and also not to give away anything of what's coming mm. in the future books basically what we had initially what i pre- presented to you was a piece that was sort of a uh, th- there was a framing device around the book initially um, yep. If you read Maynard Trigg, and if you listen to this, I hope you have, because there will be spoilers. Um, the first one, that is. Uh, there was a framing device around it initially, which was a character in the future retelling the story to someone else. <clears throat> and then also events were occurring in real time um, that were unrela- or related or unrelated, but sort of interwoven between the two. It was, yeah, like the, the, the A and B plot of the story is separated by, by, you know, like decades Decades quite of, dramatic of, of history. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um uh there it I mean for, for, for me at the time when I was reading through it there was a there was a bit of dissonance. Hmm. Definitely. Um <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> to yes. Say, to say the least. Um uh because uh for for me, you know, just being introduced to the characters, I figured that that um 
the 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 most respectful thing to do with the characters would be to tell that story from the ground up mm-hmm. um instead of having instead of having like a like a reflection um yeah uh, instead of meta narrative yeah, yeah 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 right and and i'm i mean like obviously there are, there are works that are that are written that way um yes uh, but they take 30 plus years to execute on or 20 plus years or, they they do but yeah. i i also i also think that at the at the heart of the story um uh, even even then you know what what i saw in it, the like the 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 kernel of the idea that i saw in it mm. was was an adventure story like at its heart um and and this this kind of uh coming of age what what attracted story about, what a... <laughs> about this character right obviously you know with the book that exists now may not trigger and the creature beneath the veil when you read that story it's a coming of age story about uh the maynard who goes from uh this this comfortable life where you know he sort of he says i'll never do these things i'll never i'll never stoop to this this low mm. um and then by the end of the book of course he becomes the the very uh kinds of people that he despises um to survive you know he he becomes the thief he becomes the the person bargaining and the politician and yeah he, he he finds himself in those positions without necessarily sacrificing his moral compass but what what was it about the original concepts or, or the original work that we discussed that attracted you to it was it was it the prose was it the story like what was what was it about that um, i i think i think the um i think the 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 concept is is fertile i think you can I think I think the like the, the the attraction of the the story is going to be the the world that it takes place in and not and not um uh not not so much uh the I mean at least from reading reading and working on the first book for mm-hmm. so long but the the attraction for me is is like the pro- the components of this world i suppose <laughs> yeah. um and and like like uh it is it's it's filled with with things that kind of uh ancient and yet futuristic it's it's got like for for me if mm. i can if i can like real like shoehorn it in with with a particular kind yeah. of science fiction um plot line like it reminds me a lot of fallout um it uh, has a lot of those vibes it does it. have a yeah. lot of those vibes um uh and and you know like people people on an everyday basis are dealing with um dust and and the veil and and this kind of impenetrable cloud of of awful awful things <laughs> really terrible as, asphyxiates you know yeah. um uh and you know, like most most people are kind of pushed to these floating shanty towns in the mm. sky, um, uh, which which I I think is is quite interesting. You know, yeah. Um, and and the the <laughs> fact the fact that um, thus far we've only seen really a glimpse of what it's like to live outside of poverty, um, to kind of flash. have a, yeah. yeah, like like for for me thinking about where the the overall like overarching story is going to go um and and you know hopefully at at some point we we see more of <laughs> of, yeah, of, not, of, not, of of like like the the affluent aspects yes. of the society outside not, yes. of where the story is not right to spoil now. anything but that there are places that 
this book touches on and that we see in different um, iterations that we hear about characters talking of uh, that that will become recurring locations. 